All right. So that was really fun. What happened after those two girls saw one of their friend's leg grow because her back had been messed up, they both made a decision in the moment to follow Jesus and give their lives to Jesus. And yeah, praise God. This is a prototypical example of relying on the power of God to compel people to enter into a relationship with him. You remember the definition for power evangelism that Luke gave us a couple weeks ago. It's when we rely on the power of God to compel people to enter into a relationship with him. We're not relying on our intelligence, not relying on um, an argument, not relying on, you know, an act of mercy. We're relying on his power to show people how much he loves them. And, you know, I didn't go there with the intent of, this is the honest truth. I did not, um, that, that was at UC Blue Ash one morning. I'm on an alumni council there. So I was, uh, I was there in the morning and then I uh, went out and sat in that little commons area just to kind of read my Bible and stuff. And as I was leaving, I didn't, and, and that's when I had the interaction with these girls. I wasn't going with the intent of leading them to Jesus. My motivation was to love them. So if the definition for power evangelism is relying on the power of God to compel people to enter into a relationship with them, then our motivation or our goal should be that people experience the love of God. It should be that people have a real-time, in-the-moment knowledge and experience that God loves them. Because you see, healing, salvation, um, feeding the poor, meeting people's needs, these are things that God does, okay? These are things that, and he loves to do them. But love is part of who he is. Love is his nature. It's, It's who he actually is himself. So when we go with the motivation of expressing God's love to people, his power will follow. His power will follow. We don't go with the motivation of demonstrating power. We don't even go with the motivation of leading people to Christ. We go with the motivation of love. Now, we've got to be intentional, you know, because if you just go with the motivation of love but never say the name Jesus or never pray, then, you know what, 99 times out of 100, they're not going to get healed or come to Jesus. But that baseline motivation that we go with is God's love. And that, that's where we wanted to start this whole series, was what is our heart's intent? So the first two weeks of this series, Power Outside the Walls, my dad talked about, Van, my dad, talked about how important us having a heart of compassion towards others is. How important it is for us to start at a place of loving those around us and being intentional about seeing the one person that doesn't look like they're having a good day and thinking, hey, how can I help them? You got to excuse me. I have a cold. So first service, I was like, blah, 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 <coughs> blah, 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 cough, 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 cough. So hopefully this service, it's more like blah, 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 cough, cough, blah, 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 cough, cough. You get what I'm saying? I hope I cough less, Okay. So my dad was trying to get this baseline mindset in us that it's about love. It's about having compassion. It's about cultivating a heart posture that is loving towards people around us. You know where like a good litmus test of this is? How do you feel when someone cuts you off in traffic? 
okay? That is a great place to start of developing and cultivating a heart of love towards others. Because if your first thoughts, which oftentimes my first thoughts are not love and compassion, then that's a, good, that's a good, really practical place to see that your heart needs to be softened towards people around you. We see this in the life of Jesus, that Jesus really truly ministered with a heart of compassion. And by ministered, I mean um, like prayed for people and, and uh, shared God's love with them. There's a story in the book of Luke where Jesus is outside of a town, and he notices a funeral procession coming out of the town. Now, it says in the text that this funeral procession was for a widow's only son. And what did Jesus do? He came and interrupted the funeral and raised the boy from the dead. Just like Jesus, you know, it's pretty cool of him, pretty bold. That's terrifying thought. You know, who here would want to go interrupt a funeral and be like, let me raise this person from the dead? You'd probably get kicked out, and you know. But Jesus, being Jesus, maybe we need to be a little bit more willing to be kicked out of places. Anyways, um, Jesus, the interesting thing here is that in Hebrew culture, the mother in a funeral would always be at the very end of the funeral procession. She wouldn't be in the front. She wouldn't be in the middle. She would be bringing up the rear. So in other words, Jesus saw the funeral, saw the casket, saw all these other people mourning before he saw the mother. But it says that Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw the mother. So it wasn't, the, um, ability, it wasn't like the thing of demonstrating power or raising somebody from the dead that motivated Jesus to do this. It was compassion in his heart for the mother. It wasn't until the whole funeral procession had gone by that he was moved to raise this boy from the dead. So we know that for us, it's the same thing. Our motivation in power evangelism is the love of God. Who here doesn't have a friend or a family member or a coworker that they want to experience the love of God? We all have people like that in our life. And that's why we're doing this series. Because we want to get God's love and God's power outside of these walls. I have a six-month-old daughter named Haya. And if you know anything about six-month-old daughters, or if you know anything about six-month-old children, um, you know that that's about the time they start wanting to eat solid food. And you can tell because they start paying attention to your food when you're eating. So a couple weeks ago, Jen and I were in an airport, and I was sitting on the floor, and I had a blanket down, and I was eating my sandwich, and Hay is sitting there with me. Hay is our daughter's name. And as I'm eating my sandwich, she is just like looking at me, eyes are big, drool is pouring out of her mouth, and she's just reaching. Like, she's about to teach herself how to walk, just so she can walk over and take the sandwich out of my hand. And every time I grab a potato chip out of the bag, she's trying to grab it, and I can tell that she really, she's interested. She wants my food. Now, it's my joy and it's my pleasure to give her solid food. And this is the time where we're going to start introducing it. This week, we started to give her squash and um, like this pumpkin soup thing that my mom made. But we're starting to introduce, you know, the, the right stuff to her. Well, if for you, if you've been a Christian for, you know, 10 years or years and years, decades, wherever you're at in your Christian walk, and you feel like you've never been introduced to power evangelism, You've never been given practical steps on how to do this. That's what we're here for. That's what this whole series' intent is, is to give you something that you actually want. 
Because that's the truth, is that as believers, as new creations, it is our desire to love the world around us. It is the most natural thing anyone in this room can do is pray for someone outside of the church. That's actually a normal thing for us because the deal is, is when you get saved, you become more like Jesus than like the person you used to be. You don't become like this fixed up, bandaged person that um, God is, you know, putting band-aids on and helping to live right now. You actually become a brand new creation who is more like Jesus than the typical human being. And Jesus, we all, we all see in his life that he was constantly loving on the lost. And he was constantly praying for the sick and healing the sick. So we can look at that and we can know, man, that is actually natural. That's actually a natural Christian life. But let's be honest, so few of the church of of Christians live that. And here's what I want to tell you. That's not your fault, okay? Maybe you just haven't been given practical steps. And that's what we want to do in this series is give practical steps on how to demonstrate the love and power of God outside of the church. Does that make sense? Last week, Luke gave us five really practical steps on how to do this. And the deal is is that we're all on a journey with this, okay? These steps are not meant to be taken as like a self-help type thing where it's like, if you do these five things, you will have this result, These five steps are meant to acknowledge that we're all on a journey with evangelism and with power evangelism. And the question we all need to be asking ourselves is this, what is my next step? What is my next step? So here are the five steps Luke gave us, okay? Step number one, have a willing heart. Have this this mentality, just just start here. I want to do more evangelism. Just, Just a willing heart. Because the deal is, is that any true transformation in our life starts in our heart, in our mind. It doesn't start in our behavior. The behavior has to come. If you have a great thought, but you never act on it, then that's um, hypocrisy, you know? So our, our thoughts and our beliefs should facilitate action. But it doesn't start with forcing ourselves to do something. It starts with changing the way we think, changing our heart, And opening our heart to God and saying, God, I actually, I'm going to believe the truth that you have made me to love others. It says in 1 John, as he is, so also are we in this world. That's a statement about your identity. That's a statement about my identity. That we can look at the life of Jesus and we can see that is actually what we are truly like. If we're not living that, if we're not experiencing that, then that's a bummer. But God has grace and mercy for us to begin to experience that. And our experience of of life isn't the highest reality, the highest truth of what we should be living like, right? So that's step one, is have a willing heart. Step two is first steps, taking first steps. And what this looks like is, it's saying, I want to do more evangelism, so I'm going to do it when I'm with my church. I want to do more evangelism, so I'm going to do it with my church. Did I like go too fast? Did I go, I feel like I'm like, to zero to 100 this morning. Should we talk about the weather for a second? Man, I can't believe that it's already cold. We skipped fall. We're already like in winter. I want to do more evangelism, so I do it when I'm with my church. A good example of this is healing on the streets. What Jason talked about, 
Those, the, um, the little banners we have out there say healing in the ch- and then the chairs, you can go sit in and get prayer. Well, we're not just advertising that you can get prayer. We're advertising that you can be part of giving prayer. And, and part of this is welcoming you. Hey, sign it, fill out an info sheet, and then come to the mall some Saturday between 12 and 2. I'll, I'll even give you a secret, okay? You don't have to fill out an info sheet. Just come to the mall any Saturday between 12 and 2 and find us in front of Hot Topic in the food, near the food court. And just watch. Just be, just be an observer. And this is you accomplishing step one and two at the same time. This is you having a willing heart, and this is you taking your first steps by doing it in the context of your church, in that safe setting where other people are doing this, and it's actually kind of an expected social thing, you know? So that's, that's so much of the problem, right, with evangelism, is that we feel like we're breaking all of these social norms. Man, I don't want to live my life dictated by social norms, you know, I want, we have a tangible thing. We have a tangible expression of God's love to offer the world. And that's what this is all about. We can do it, guys. We can do it. Step three, growing confidence. I want to do more evangelism, so I'm starting to look for opportunities and do it when it feels natural. This week, my wife was at Dollar General buying Halloween candy because we're cheap. So she got dum-dums and candy corn, all right? Don't come to our house trick-or-treating. You're going to be disappointed. <laughs> As she's checking out at Dollar General, the cashier is just like complaining, complaining, complaining about a toothache she has. She just won't stop talking about it. It's like odd. Why is she talking about this so much? And so Jen says, okay, hey, could I just pray for you really quick? She's like, sure. And kind of looks away and just like, no, I mean right now. You see, when we offer to pray for people out in public, they're going to think we mean go home and pray at home. But what, what we mean is right now. God wants to impact your life right now. So she prayed for right there on the spot. And the lady, the cashier immediately got distracted. And Jen didn't get to see like um, what happened with the result of her prayer. But this is a great example of a natural opportunity to minister, to do power evangelism. This is a natural opportunity. Man, I just want to suggest to you that if you're ever out and about and someone begins to tell you about pain in their life or negative circumstances in their life, that is not a coincidence. That is not normal, okay? People don't just tell strangers about the things that are going wrong in their life all the time. That's not, that's not normal. What I would offer up to you, I think Luke said this last week, is that's the presence of God emanating off of you. That's them seeing Jesus subconsciously in you and knowing just subconsciously that there's a solution you have to offer. There's actually a divine appointment for you to do power evangelism, for you to grow in this. So pay attention next time that your server is complaining or that the bank teller, you know, is uh, telling you about some problem they have. Maybe this is God inviting you into step three. Step four, intentionality. I want to do more evangelism, so I do it when it feels natural, and I choose to do it intentionally. You know, if you were here last week, you got to hear about Luke and my trip to Zimbabwe. We are in Zimbabwe for about two weeks, and when we got back, I was super jet lagged and I was waking up at like 5 a.m. every morning. And one morning I woke up and I wanted donuts. And so I thought, okay, Jen's still asleep. You know, we don't, we're trying to like back off on sugar and stuff like that. And, um, you know, you never know that you're addicted to sugar until you stop having it so much. Okay. <laughs> so just, just FYI, we're probably all addicted to sugar. Um, but I'm like, okay, I'm going to go Dunkin' Donuts before Jen gets up and get two donuts eat them both, and destroy the evidence. She will be none the wiser. So I 
I go back to my room and I'm quietly like putting my shoes on and all of a sudden our daughter wakes up and I just grab her, swoop her out of the room so Jen doesn't wake up and my plan is foiled. And Haya and I go on a daddy-daughter date to Dunkin' Donuts at 6 a.m. And so I'm going through the Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru and when I give the cashier my credit card, he, is, uh, he says something kind of interesting to me. He's like, wow, you're really happy this morning. And I was like, okay, I don't think so, but maybe I'm just... Maybe I'm more awake than the average person. Because you know, when someone goes through the Dunkin' Donuts line at 6 a.m., they're like not awake and probably not really pleasant. But I'd been up for like an hour and a half at this point because of my jet lag, just reading and stuff. So something, so it popped into my head, man, here's an open door. I'm gonna be intentional about doing power evangelism right now. This was step four. This was something happened where he engaged me in conversation and I realized this is a great time to be intentional about praying for him. Okay? He didn't tell me about any of his problems. It wasn't, it wasn't quote unquote natural, but my kind of like radar went off. I was like, hey, here's a moment to be intentional. So I just said, God, what do you want to say to this guy? And through the kind of chaos of my thoughts and my imagination, June, the word June just became like really prevalent. It's the only way to explain it in my thinking, in my head. And I, wasn't think, and I didn't think it was like a name. I was thinking like the month, June. So I just said to him, hey, man, when he, when he handed me my donuts, I said, hey, this may sound kind of funny, but is the month of June significant to you at all? And then, you know, if you're an external processor, you open your mouth and your brain comes out. And so I just said, in fact, I think something really important is going to happen in your life in the month of June. And he was like, his, his jaw just drops. And he goes, what? He's a young guy about my age. What did you just say? And I said, June, like, is June significant? I think something special is going to happen in your life in June. And he goes, I'm expecting my first child in June. I'm expecting our first child this June. How did you know that? How, how do you possibly know that? I said, dude, I didn't know that. That's Jesus. He loves you. He is pursuing a relationship with you. And he just wants you to know he's for you. And he's for this pregnancy. And he wants to bless you. He doesn't want to hurt you. And um, he's just putting his stamp of value. He, he loves you, man. And he's just blown away. Man, that guy's day, I guarantee you, has changed. And, and also, I'm just going to get serious for a moment. Who knows what else was changed in his life? Okay? Who knows what was going to happen with that pregnancy? Do you think a guy working at Dunkin' Donuts maybe is feeling the most, like the most equipped person to uh, raise a child? Who knows? And I mean, he, I think he totally was. I'm not making that commentary. I'm just saying, who knows what he was thinking? Who knows the thoughts that was going through him and his wife's head? God forbid, maybe they were considering an abortion. Who knows if I just saved a baby's life? And I'm not saying that to be like too serious or to elevate myself. I'm just saying like, we don't even consider what is on the line when we intentionally share the love of God with people outside the church. We don't, we, we gotta realize that there might be something bigger going on. There might be something more important happening than just me feeling awkward about doing this. Worst case scenario, he had a great rest of his shift at Dunkin' Donuts, all right? So, that's step four, intentionality. Here, and here's another thing I realized. October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June. That means that he just found out that they were pregnant. 
okay? So it's pretty timely. And it was all just me taking step four seriously and being intentional. Step five, living a lifestyle of evangelism. This is saying that it's just normal for me. I live a lifestyle of power evangelism is what it's saying. And that, what happened in that video we saw at the beginning, the UC Blue Ash, those girls, how, how, didn't you just love those girls? And then he prayed on her. I was like, this is so perfect. And it was magic. Like, oh my gosh, this is, no, it wasn't magic. Um, that, was just, that was just coming from overflow. That was just coming from a lifestyle. That was coming from having a willing heart, taking first steps, being intentional. And then it just becomes second nature eventually, okay? So right now, I just want to shift gears for the last like 10 or 15 minutes of my message. And I want to kind of flip this whole idea of the purpose of evangelism on its head. Because normally when we think about evangelism, when we think about reaching out to the lost and the broken, um, we're thinking, our, our focus is on them, right? Our focus is, and, and, and as it should be, our focus is on other people hearing the good news of Jesus, experiencing his love, coming into relationship with him, or at least taking a step in that direction. Because I, I really believe that God has everybody on a journey towards him. Not everybody's going to make it to him, okay? Not everybody's going to be saved. But I, I think that God's good enough that he has a plan set out for everybody to come to know him. And when we do power evangelism, we're giving people little tastes. We're giving them little steps in this journey. So every power evangelism encounter, we're not going to see somebody come to know Jesus. But we're going to be a link in the chain that leads them to eventually doing that, hopefully. So... So that was a tangent, but that's usually our whole focus, right? Is on the loss themselves and how it affects them. Well, here's my big idea for today. Here's what I want to say that kind of makes this, that, that lets us look at it from a little bit different of an angle, all right? I believe that power evangelism is part of God's plan to propel you, to propel us into his destiny for your life. Power evangelism is part of God's plan to propel you into his destiny for your life. It's not just about us growing as a Christian. It's about us actually advancing in life and being more than conquerors and getting to where God has us. You know, God has a destiny and a plan for every single person in this room. He has amazing purposes over your life, amazing ideas, amazing um, thoughts and things for you to do. And I really believe that one of the ways we're going to get there is through power evangelism. And I think we see this biblically in the life of Joseph. Joseph was an Old Testament dude who was actually um, one of the sons of the father of the nation of Israel. So this guy named Jacob has 12 sons, and Joseph is the second youngest son that he has. And Joseph is, let's just be real, he has a little bit of like a pride issue, okay? He has these amazing dreams that God's giving him about his life. And instead of kind of taking that stuff to encourage himself, he begins to share it with everybody. And he begins to share it with his brothers. And you better believe that has a negative impact on his relationship with his brothers. So much so that his dad stops sending him out with his brothers to do the shepherding. He starts keeping him in with him. And he kind of starts showing uh, Joseph favoritism, I think, to kind of protect Joseph a little bit. But what he really did was also like alienate Joseph from his brothers even more. And so there's um, a point in time where Jacob has to send Joseph out to his other sons to give them food and supplies as they're out shepherding the flock. That's, that's what the family business was, was shepherding. And when he's on his way out to his brothers, they see him and they're like, is anybody else sick of Joseph? And consensus is, yes, we are all sick of Joseph. 
So they get pretty drastic and they say, let's kill him. Let's get rid of him. So they plot a whole plan to get rid of Joseph and end up selling him into slavery and taking his uh, robe, the special robe that his father gave him and, getting, and putting blood all over it, not Joseph's blood, but an animal's blood, but then taking it to their father and saying, hey, we found this. Your son Joseph was killed. And inside they're thinking, finally, we're done with this problem. But Jacob is, you know, totally, totally broken. It ruins this father's life for this son to, for this son to pass away. And Joseph goes to Egypt. He gets sold into slavery in Egypt. And he gets um, put, put as a servant in this guy's house named Potiphar. And Potiphar is a really powerful man in Egypt. He's really high up. And Joseph is such an excellent person that Potiphar promotes Joseph to being basically in control of Potiphar's entire house and all of his affairs, his money, his other servants, all of his stuff. Joseph's the guy in charge of all of that. And then another cataclysmic thing happens to Joseph. This guy just can't catch a break. Um, Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph of assaulting her. And Potiphar, without question, just throws Joseph in jail. So now Joseph finds himself in jail. Through a series of events, Joseph gets out of jail and he begins to work for Pharaoh. Now a huge famine comes on the land of Egypt. And what do you know, but Joseph's brothers come to Egypt to get food because of this famine. Now they don't recognize Joseph because Joseph's like full Egyptian at this point and you can't recognize him. He doesn't look like their brother anymore. And Joseph begins to put his brothers kind of through the ringer. He begins to test them. And what he's really doing is seeing, have they changed? Are they the same people that they used to be? And you know, guilt has been racking them over the years. And they actually do. It opens their heart to change. And Joseph eventually reveals himself to them, forgives them, has their whole family um, brought to Egypt, and saves his whole family's life, essentially, all through these terrible series of events in his life. And in the story of Joseph, I would say that there's two big takeaways. Two big takeaways that are often talked about. I'm going to really focus on one of them, but then I want to share a third takeaway that I noticed as I read it recently. And I think this third takeaway really has to do with the power of evangelism. But first, the first two takeaways that, that I think we can take and really apply to our life right now from Joseph's story is this. Pride will attract pain and negativity into our life. Joseph's pride attracted pain and negativity into his life. We see that directly through his relationship with his brothers. In all likelihood, there could have been some pride going on in his life in Potiphar's house that attracted um, Potiphar's wife to trying to seduce him and then getting him thrown in jail. And that's just conjecture. That's just my opinion. That might not even be true. But the point is, is that we can't be afraid to address our pride because when we address it, that's when God will start to redeem the pain and negativity that it has caused. When we begin to have an open heart and listen to other people's feedback, that's oftentimes how our pride is addressed, is other people share it with us. Maybe they don't share it with us really well, but be alert, man. If somebody shares a criticism with you, ask yourself, is this actually exposing some pride in my life? Because pride is a terrible, toxic thing. And I don't want to be prideful. I want to deal with it. And it, it, and it says in 1 Peter that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So when we're willing to recognize our pride and we're, we're willing to humble ourselves, God actually get, puts grace on us. So here's the takeaway, okay? Don't flaunt your strengths. 
Don't make the mistake that Joseph did and flaunt your strengths to everybody all the time. Second takeaway, this is a more obvious one, which I'll just say really quick from Joseph's story. It's that God will redeem even the worst thing that has happened to you for your good. Genesis 50, 20 says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Now, I don't think this means that God caused it. I just think it means that if we continue to walk with him through our hardships, he will overrule the negative effects of it, especially in our heart, especially in our heart. So God will redeem even the worst things that have happened to us when we open our heart to him. Now, those are the two like, quick practical takeaways. Here's the third thing I noticed when I was just recently reading the story of Joseph as it applies to power evangelism. Remember, I made that statement. Power evangelism is part of God's plan to propel you into his destiny for your life. So, <clears throat> let's pick up in Joseph's story when he's in jail. Joseph gets thrown in jail, and once again, he finds favor in jail. He's actually really liked by the head jailer. And so Joseph becomes like the number two in command in the jail. And it's even to the point where the other inmates' perception is that Joseph isn't even a prisoner anymore. It's that he is a servant of the jailer. That's how much he was liked in there. That's how he rises, is that he's no longer even looked at as an inmate. He's looked at as the jailer's servant. Two other guys get thrown into jail One of them is the chief cupbearer for Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like the president of Egypt. And the other person is the chief baker for Pharaoh. So now both of these guys have a dream on the same night. And that's where we're picking up in Genesis um, 40, verses 5 through 9, okay? Joseph's in jail with these two um, workers of Pharaoh who've been thrown into jail. And one night they both dreamed. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in prison, each his own dream, and each with its own interpretation. So they each had separate dreams. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph. And then the chief baker tells his dream to Joseph also. And Joseph interprets both of the dreams. One guy, it ends up really good. The interpretation of the dream is, you're getting out of jail, you're going to be restored to your position with Pharaoh. The other guy, bad news, you're not getting out of jail. In fact, you're going to be executed. That's bad news. Um, But here's the thing. Both of his interpretations actually come true. And Joseph says, hey, don't forget about me. Guy that's getting executed, you can forget about me. You're done. But uh, no, he doesn't say that. Guy that is chief cupbearer who's going to get out of jail, don't forget about me, okay? Tell Pharaoh about how I've been wrongfully imprisoned, and um, then maybe I'll be able to get out of jail too. Well, the chief cupbearer gets out of prison, but then goes two years without ever mentioning this to Pharaoh. He forgets or decides not to bring it up. He's skinned on thin ice. I don't know what it is. But for two whole years, he doesn't tell Pharaoh about it until Pharaoh has a dream of his own. (coughs) So that's where we're picking up in Genesis 41. Pharaoh just had a dream and he can't figure out the interpretation for it. No one in the whole land of Egypt, all the magicians and the sorcerers, um, none of them can figure out the interpretation. 
This is where we're picking up in Genesis 41. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. (coughs) Excuse me. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. So what happens next is Pharaoh tells his dream to Joseph, and Joseph not only interprets it, but he actually gives a solution to the problem that the dream is presenting. And what happens? Joseph goes from being a prisoner in jail who is ministering to prisoners to becoming second in command of all of Egypt. Pharaoh promotes him because of his interpretation and solution, rescues him out of jail, takes him out of the pit, and makes him second in command of all of Egypt. He goes from second in command of a jail to second in command of the most powerful nation on earth. He goes from second in command to a jailer to second in command to the, king, the pharaoh, the king of Egypt himself. Talk about a promotion, man. That's a pretty big leg up in life, you know? How did he get there? What did he do in the jail? What did he do when Pharaoh asked him for the dream interpretation? Power evangelism. That was power evangelism, my friends. He said, do not interpretations belong to God? He said, I'm going to rely on the power of God to demonstrate his love for you. I'm going to rely on the power of God right now to show you what needs to happen. You see, some of us in here, we might feel like we're in the pit right now. The answer, or a part of the answer, is power evangelism, baby. That's part of the answer for you, is power evangelism. Power evangelism will propel you into your destiny and God's plans for you. It will cut through the warfare happening in your life. It will cut through the problems. It's taking the focus off of yourself and onto God and onto his kingdom being advanced. And when we do that, Blessing can't help but come, okay? Blessing can't help but come when we turn our focus onto God. You see, power evangelism is part of God's plan to propel you into his destiny for your life. I'm gonna close with this quote by Harry Truman. Harry Truman was the 33rd president of the United States. He came in after Franklin Roosevelt and um, led our nation and allied forces out of World War II and he was kind of really a like, reluctant guy to do that, in fact. He wasn't, like, didn't have this big aspiration to be a powerful president, but he got put in that position. And he said this really profound thing, okay? He said, deeds grow into destiny. Deeds, they grow into destiny. It's not just what we believe. It's not just what we think. It's our deeds that lead into destiny. Power evangelism is part of all of us getting to our destiny. Jesus, we love you so much. And we love you so much that it is a no-brainer that we want to share your love with others. So would you increase our compassion for people around us outside of the church? 
Would you put grace on all of our lives to bring your power outside of the walls? And I just speak against any shame or condemnation around the idea of evangelism. We just break that off. We lay it aside and we say that's not ours. We don't need to deal with that. So I break shame and condemnation off. And I just release right now in Jesus' name an empowering of the Holy Spirit for evangelism for everyone here. I release an empowering to love the one, to love people around us. In Jesus' name, amen. What we're going to do now is receive our offering and enter into a corporate time of of worship. So if ushers, you guys would come down to the front, that would be awesome. (coughs) The giving baskets are at the end of each row. And you know, this church's whole budget, how we do everything we do is based off of what gets put in these baskets every Sunday and and our generosity. And so it's cool. It's a testimony to our generosity, what this church is doing in the city. So like you can take joy in the fact that your giving is expanding and increasing the kingdom in Cincinnati. So for that, I just want to say thank you for being a generous giver and thank you for giving. We're going to enter into a time of worship now. And, um, you know, something I really believe is that as we worship, fear is broken off of our life. And as we engage with God's presence and as we Um, assign him top priority in our life, fear and the clutter of life really begins to subside. So I just encourage you, if you've had a hard week, if you're feeling anxious or stressed, there's any fear, then man, engage at an extra measure with worship this morning. Come down front and worship. Really, um, Really be free to express yourself as we worship because this is one of the places that we actually enter into the freedom that Jesus has for us. Yeah, so you guys are more than welcome to Stand, you can come up to the front if you want.